Mobi.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly live discussion about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, just a market that hasn't really decided what it wants to do with its life. We're here at the end of close here on Thursday, June 2nd, and the market is up. Pretty significantly, the Nasdaq is up like two points, the Dow is up a point and a half. As volatility reigns, as this continuing bear slash recessionary cycle continues, the main news, of course, being the most underreported thing, which is qualitative tightening has begun. That is, the Fed is now finally physically drawing down its balance sheet. To join me in discussing like what's going on there and just try to understand how the market is reacting to just this ongoing situation, as always, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, I can't make heads or tails of this. What is happening? Why does volatility keep raining here, man? Like, is this just one of those like dead cat bounces we hear a lot about, or what in the world is going on in this market, dude? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot to discuss and go through today. Uh, this is par for the course is as hard as that is to believe um but we will we'll dive into the specifics there's a lot going on a lot of questions to answer we'll try and jam it through uh in 30 minutes here but uh long story short before we dive into the details i mean this is this is just to be expected as what's going on in the economy inflation potential recession firings tech layoffs i mean you name it the the headlines are popping up yeah, all the pieces for like an actual recession are definitely there. And that's kind of the very big kind of expectation, especially on the tech side of things. I mean, if the economy is just the NASDAQ, we've been in a bear market for a good period here. But the core economy still is hovering right above bear territory. Remember, the market usually defines a bear market as a particular index being uh, consistently 20% off its most recent high. So you'd have to see the S&P at around like 3,800 to call this a bear market slash recession. And our economy usually calls a recession when we have two quarters of negative economic growth, but uh, the actual body of the U.S. government that does that has different criteria now and can kind of just like announce at any time um, that, you know, uh, it's actually a recession. So not officially a recession yet, not officially a bear market yet, but, you know, all the signs are there. So as we move forward, that's the main thing we have to think about. Is this a buy the dip situation? What are we thinking about in terms of what's happening in this market? So Justin, let's kind of take this through piece by piece. I think the biggest, most underreported thing that's happening is that we're finally actually in a period of quantitative tightening, which just has not happened really in the past decade. Uh, The Fed has been juicing the economy by taking a lot of, like buying a lot of bonds off the market, adding a tremendous amount of money to its balance sheet. It's like up $9 trillion at this point. And so you're going to see a lot of drawdown starting literally on Wednesday, a day ago. We are 24 hours into this process, which is the main thing that the Fed is going to do to really try to cool things off. Interest rates raising are one thing to slow economic growth, but quantitative tightening is just really pumping the brakes. Can you kind of take me through like our thinking here in terms of like like the macro forces there? Are people like ignoring this because it's not going to be a big deal for a while? Or is this one of those things that it's kind of like a time bomb that's going to um, take a lot of like the credit and a lot of the oxygen out of the room? How do we play this game here, Justin? Yeah, it's it's interesting right now. We've been, um, we've been talking about this for a while as a potential possibility to happen more or less. To your point, the Fed would stop pumping money to the economy and start doing the opposite, which is removing liquidity is not necessarily even stopping buying things, but then also removing liquidity from the market. So, I mean, there's there's really not much they can do outside of monetary policy and fiscal policy to like affect how the economy is going. Um, so this is kind of like their their next trick in their bag in terms of 
reducing the liquidity in the market, not only by raising interest rates so people don't take loans, but then also by buying back um, or re further reducing the, the supply of money in the economy. So it's interesting. We'll see how it shakes out again. This is the, <laughs> the first time they have done this in, I think it's over a decade at this point. Um, but I mean, I think like the similar sentiment we've been feeling is it's a little too much, a little, a little too, little too late. Um, today, uh, Larry Fink came out and said that the Fed doesn't have the tools to deal with inflation now, and this is them just becoming desperate. So, I mean, this was a decade-long experiment in the making, and unfortunately, if things don't go well, investors and, and people alike are going to have to bear the brunt of it. Yeah, that, that's the main thing we have to keep in mind here. This is definitely still a period of uncertainty, and you're seeing a lot of people play more the conservative side of things here. This is not going to be a 2008 situation. This is not going to be a 2020 situation. This might not even be like a 2001 situation with the, the dot-com bubble bursting. Like We're seeing a lot of the um, overinflation of the market kind of being accounted for, especially in the NASDAQ right now. Like you saw that begin in November. It's not bottoming out or anything, but we're seeing a lot of sideways motion here. But this is only the step one of this process to get inflation under control. And so it really remains to be seen. We haven't seen an economy with this much energy in it literally ever. And like the closest compa comparison you have is maybe 1975 when you had stagflation. It might even be like literally I don't mean to be this guy. This might be like 1912 level energy where you have, you know, the the level of like um, income inequality and sort of like the level of money moving around the market as well as just like the the weird inflationary situation we have. Like you got to dig deep in the economic history of this country to see uh, any basis for comparison lining up here. But again, this is just the we have to just say this is unprecedented. That's the only thing it really is. And so we're just trying to watch this as closely as possible and see what happens. Like, you know, good. don't take good news as super good and don't take, like, people treating the market like it's the apocalypse as anything bad either. Like, we're going to be, you know, having a lot of questions about what this means every CP, every time the CPI comes out, every time the market kind of reacts to, are we getting inflation under control, that sort of thing. So bear with us as we, you know, have, you know, our cautious mindset about what's going on in this market right now. But I want to talk about macro stuff too much. Just understand that, sure, the market is recovering off of some good earnings reports like cloud stocks are driving the NASDAQ back up finally, because that's what they do, because they're the highest margin tech stocks of all time, period. But Let's not over like over overload with this. Let's see how we can play this as actual investors. Like we're still in kind of a buy the dip situation. We're still in that period of thinking about making sure that we're setting ourselves up for really good long term growth. You're not winning in the short term, that's for sure, Justin. But uh, let's 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 dive more into that. So um, we've seen a huge sell off in the Nasdaq as well, right? And I think a lot of people have have had concerns about that. And now we're finally seeing the beginnings of the reaction to that, Justin, with tech layoffs. Like everyone from Gemini to Meta to Netflix is laying off anywhere from 10% to 20% of their staffs. As you think about that, as you look at sort of like the tech side of things, as people realize they overgrew during the wild period of growth in 2020 to 2022, um, how do you look at that? Is this going to be like an extended winter or is this just by just like doing these cuts now, do you think tech companies can kind of stem the bleeding and you know, push their way through this period of volatility? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you're invested in, over time, like the good ones will shine, the bad ones will fall out. It's just like a natural gravitation. You saw, I mean, back in, and not to do too much of a history lesson, but you saw companies when cars were first invented, like 
I literally think there were hundreds, if not thousands, of car companies. And then obviously in the U.S., there's been a handful of winners in the long run, GM, Ford, Chrysler, a few others. But it was impossible to say the ones that were going to shake out. And then in the dot-com bubble, you have Pets.com is the classic example, but a thousand different companies that are all just dot-com at the end that ended up crashing and burning. But again, impossible to say which ones are going to do well, not do well. And you're seeing the same thing in the crypto markets. A ton of coins, a ton of projects. Most will crash and burn. Some will do well. Again, impossible to tell. What we can look at in the tech sector specifically is understanding who actually is growing responsibly, who is not using growth at all cost and just worrying about their top line, but who is like maturing responsibly, not burning a ton of cash and just are sustainable companies. And that's why we're seeing like these historically sleepy tech companies that have grown a ton already, like Salesforce, like Oracle, like others, not get crushed to the extent that others are because they're growing responsibly. While the growth is slow, there is still growth and the businesses from like an actual, you know, finance perspective are doing well. So to answer your question, like what's gonna do well in the long run, I think it's gonna be kind of like this bifurcation between stocks that are growing responsibly well now and into the future, who will have modest steady gains with not a ton of volatility. And then once we move back into this recovery phase where these growth stocks are valued more highly, maybe it takes years before they're valued to the extent that they were last year, but those stocks will continue to do well if they're still being smarter. So I think the big history lesson here is growth is important, but not to the extent that it once was, where you can just burn billions and trillions of dollars and hope that you figure it out in the long run. Exactly. This is why you're kind of seeing, you know, uh, the chickens coming to come home, come home to roost in media specifically. Like Netflix is still down big because their whole business model was, I don't know, just throw as much money as co at content as possible and we'll get subscribers and we'll figure out the rest later, that sort of thing. Now, this whole strategy throughout 2020 and 2021 was legitimate for a lot of these businesses because you can achieve a lot of market dominance if you try to take advantage of the hyper growth we had. Some companies kind of played this super well. Others, you know, didn't quite get to the levels they needed to uh, before, you know, like the party sort of stopped. Like everyone kind of knew this was going to be a short. You saw a lot of people kind of assume this would be very short lived because we all expected some kind of recession in 2020, you know, before the coronavirus pandemic hit. Right. So the main thing you have to keep in mind is seeing folks who, you know, did this responsibly but still managed to grow well and folks who may have like overextended their hand and are now going to suffer for that and that's only going to get exposed in the long run like you're seeing a lot of you're seeing a lot of sell-offs right now you're going to see some stocks recover better some not recover at all and that's the important part about these recessionary and bear market cycles what will happen is is that these market conditions will expose bad management so this is honestly one of the best times to be learning about the market and seeing how companies perform quarter by quarter by quarter but it's still very difficult to know, right? So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure we understand, A, um, doing a lot more of our fu fundamental analysis. Like we usually do a balance of fundamental and technical analysis, but fundamental analysis becomes way more important during bear periods. Technical analysis is, is always going to have some validity, but it's going to be more valid during bull runs because you have a better understanding of the patterns because, you know, number go up in these specific ways. I'll get into more of that maybe later one day. I've been thinking a lot about how to do the balance as we've been doing our analyses, but the main thing is going to be fundamental analysis. How do you, you know, cut costs, increase revenue, and, you know, power through and make yourself a valuable play throughout this period of genuine uncertainty? I mean, it's only uncertain this week. Maybe next week we'll be, we'll be back to be talking about only bear cycles. We'll have to see. So, Justin, I I guess the main thing people need to be thinking about is we want to make sure we're playing this long term, right? Like with volatility in charge, with QT here potentially really sucking the oxygen out of the room, 
Uh, I don't want to think too much about the downturn because we've been talking about that forever. Let's talk about the recovery because with every with every bust, there is another boom. That is our new capital system. That That's the way it's worked for a century. That's the way it's going to continue to work. And you've literally just released your research on markets that do well in recovery. So can you kind of take me through that? Um, as we go through this period, what are you seeing in terms of sectors that'll kind of do well based on just like the research you've done? Can you kind of take me through your process in terms of understanding what sectors typically do well during recovery periods? Yeah, so if you're looking at the market right now, there are different times where you invest in companies that are just doing well, and then you invest in sectors and themes because of what's going on in the environment. Um, and if you look at the economy right now, what we see is that certain sectors are doing well, other sectors are doing poorly, and a lot of it is being driven by the economy, by the Fed, by interest rates, by inflation, by a lot of these things that are out of the control of many companies. So right now, as investors, we need to start thinking about this in terms of sectors. What sectors do well, and then what companies within those sectors do well. It's not what companies are doing well when we invest in them. You need to add that second dimension on top, because right now, no matter the company, you're either being negatively or positively affected what's going on in the economy. For example, with inflation, energy prices are rising like crazy. You look at any energy stock, chances are it went up in the last 12 months. So when we think about the recovery in terms of the market's bottom and it goes back up, which we aren't at yet, but as investors, we're always forward looking, we need to be understanding which sectors are going to do well in recovery. And then conversely, or in addition to rather, what stocks within those sectors would do well. So while it's impossible to say when we're at the absolute bottom, what we can do is look at different phases of the market. And that bottom to recovery phase, which is usually like the first 20% so or gain, is often characterized as a very quick move that happens within two to three months. Um, and they're becoming shorter and shorter and more volatile and more volatile. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is that we need to start potentially even allocating to these sectors early before the phase happened because it happens so fast. And so when we look at the sectors that do the best in the recovery phase, there is kind of like this intersection between what does well and what has the lowest risk and then what does best for the lowest risk. And basically, you know, not to bore you with the details and the data, the quick answer is that financials, tech, and consumer discretionary do best. So within those sectors, there's different volatility, there's different expected returns, but for each level of risk, we can associate that these sectors historically have the best chance of doing well during this recovery period. And I think it aligns really nicely with how we're thinking about the markets right now, because if you look at financials, for example, in a rising interest rate environment, they'll do really well. But with the market selling off, financials just haven't done well. So when we start moving towards this recovery phase, financials are in a really good position and we can start looking at the stocks themselves that should recover nicely. And in our app, and as well on the website for our paying members, we just released the report today that show all of our favorite stocks that are exposed to this kind of exposure within the financial sector. Same thing goes for consumer discretionary. And then we show also all of our favorite tech stocks, which are the lowest risk and which have the highest reward. But basically there are these different phases of the market. And if we can start identifying them, understanding what sectors can do well, we can go from just being investors and put our economist hat on and start layering that as well. And that's how you really start, you know, outperforming the market over the next 12 months, which is where a lot of people 
start to make money in kind of these scary times, there is a lot of upside opportunity. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing a lot of people really miss out on is I just want to reiterate one really important thing you just said, Justin, is that the the sell off to bottom phase is always surprisingly quick once we, you know, finish like the actual sell off period and hit that actual bottom. Like um, for us, that like that expected length is somewhere around two months. Uh, the longest it's ever been is shy of a year, whereas, you know, obviously the recovery to top period is always a multi year period, which is the one of the main advantages of this kind of goofy system we have it does have its hiccups it's natural these boom and bust cycles but it is surprising a watching how short busts tend to be and how we've been finding ways to you know keep them being short now of course it remains to be seen if we can do the same thing here again totally unprecedented economy but it is really awesome to see you know um like how fast this is going to be and kind of encouraging in, in that regard. But again, no one can predict what's going to happen, right? So just keep that in mind. Typically, this this stuff happens fast. But again, never try to time the market. Stick to your sort of incremental plan. Make sure that you're also budgeting to account for inflation so you're not overexposing yourself to risk. And then, of course, like your main goal during this period is also making sure that you extend your emergency fund a little bit. You know, take a little bit of, you know, not take your money out of the market, but like make sure you're adding a little bit more to that emergency fund to get you to more to six to eight months just in case you get hit by, you know, like especially in tech, these these layoff waves, which are ongoing and just kind of like the, the real, real beginning of like tech winter, which is always the sector that kind of um, is the most volatile as a worker um, as you roll through this. Uh, you know, we've, uh, I've been working in tech my whole life. I've been through a, a bunch of like the, the, the micro cycles of boom and bust. It's always super fun and super wild. So um, we have a lot of war stories there, which is why it's my focus. But just keep that in mind. Hopefully you're in more of a stable industry if you're listening to this. But as we get through that, as we look through here, it's also just trying to get into the expected recovery as well. And can, can you kind of take me more through that? Like as I sort of like think about reconstructing my portfolio, like, should I just be throwing all my money into tech stocks, assuming they're going to just, you know, absolutely pop off once the recovery actually starts? Like, I should just DCA all the way into, into well, Tesla, right? Or how should I be thinking about this, Justin? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an exposure you're going to need to have. But A, we don't know when that recovery will come. Um, and we can't just over allocate towards one sector. We need to be smart. So, yes, tech is a sector we want to always have exposure to. But right now it is extremely volatile. So we need to be like very mindful of the fact that like they can continue to slide down. So when you say, should we be allocating all our dollars there? I think the clear answer is no. Um, we should be allocating some position of our portfolio, but not the whole position. Um, and then in the recovery phase, yes, historically it's done the best, but that doesn't necessarily always mean it will do the best. And there could be other sectors that do even better. So we want to make sure that we have adequate exposure to different types of strategies, different types of sectors, so that when things do rebound, or even in a period now where things are very volatile, we can still capture the most upside opportunity. Exactly. And that's going to be your main game is making sure that you find those upside opportunities, both within various industries, as well as just making sure that you are, you know, de-risking yourself just in case you're in, in this for more of a long run. Again, you never can like get general financial advice from an actual podcast. You, that has to be a deeply personal process, right? But just making sure that you're well diversified, that you have a lot of growth options in case, you know, like absolute calamity occurs in some of your positions. Um, doing that's going to help you win in the long run. And the only way you're 
are going to win is in the long run. So as the recovery begins, like I'm not saying it's going to begin anytime soon, but what you're going to see is a bunch of people saying, okay, market's bottomed out. Now's the time to become a billionaire. Don't fall for the FOMO. Don't, you know, hit the bull run too hard. Keep it incremental. Main maintain your time in the market and make sure that you're investing defensively enough that you can always every month use your surplus budget to add to your positions. That's going to be the real game you play. And so as we get into that, we think about all the various ways we diversify. Obviously, check out Moby.co. That post literally just dropped. I'm really excited to to go through it as we talk about financials, technology, consumer discretionary, all the various areas that like seem like the, the best plays. But like, w let's talk about some older research as well. As you look into this, one, one place that's having a little bit of an outsized recovery already is healthcare. You're seeing a lot more investment pouring into biotech and pharmaceutical and so you've seen us do a lot of picks in the phar pharmaceutical industry. Um, our picks on uh, Merck and Eli Lilly have done particularly well, and we didn't want to like hit you with too many pharmaceutical stocks. So one other way you can play this is if you're seeing a little bit more recovery in an area, find the person supplying that industry or one of the main suppliers, and you'll find a way to really, really win. And so one really good piece we did this week that I'm really excited about is we finally got a chance to cover Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is kind of the premier provider for scientific labs in every industry, particularly life sciences, and particularly in, in growing industries like um, Northern Africa and China as the, as the sort of scientific and health infrastructure in those areas really starts to advance. And so that's the main thing you want to think about. If you're seeing a bunch of stocks in a particular industry start to recover, like the main produ producers and providers, then you want to find the secondary folks there as well, who um, when you see a lot of investment in biotech and a lot of that stuff, you never want to like always invest in just the people hunting for gold. It's always best to also invest in the folks, um, what am I trying to say, selling the shovels as well. And that's a good way to a little bit de-risk as you look at an industry as well. So I'm really excited about Thermo Fisher Scientific. Justin, is there anything else we're thinking about in terms of like how, our, how we're playing TMO? Is there anything else you like in terms of like how they're growing? Or is it mainly just like, okay, there's a, far, there's a bit of a pharma boom right now. It's cooling off as the market cools off, but it's still a good play. Like, how do you think about that as well? Yeah, I thought you brought up a really good point about talking <laughs> talking about when there's a gold rush, don't be the one looking for the gold, be the one who's selling the axes and, and the picks. And I think that's exactly how we're thinking about this um, type of investment. They've been around since the 1950s, but they're just huge. They're kind of like, to your point, the Amazon of laboratories everywhere. They sell the equipment um, and they, they more or less like own kind of the ecosystem. And what's cool about them is right now with healthcare just absolutely booming for a company that's been around for, you know, 50 plus years, seeing revenue growth of over, you know, 15%, seeing EBITDA grow over 25%. And I know some of these numbers may mean nothing to people. It might be even slightly boring, but like these are really encouraging metrics and you don't see this for a, co a company that's been around since the 50s. Um, so I think they're, they're underratedly a growth play. And if they can keep this up, um, and it looks like they will, and they're not necessarily revenue just associated to COVID testing, that they'll be a stock that continues to do well for a very low, um, level of risk over the next few years. Yeah, they survived the pandemic entirely off of selling um, testing components for COVID-19 tests worldwide. And the revenue was up 22%, despite the fact that their COVID-19 testing revenue was down 15%. So you're watching that that revenue share completely decrease while they get back to their R&D side of things. And as we you know, biotech starts investment outside of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is awesome to see. One of the, one of the really interesting concerns that was coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic was 
we would spend two years with our entire scientific industry only focused on one disease and kind of forget that like there's like cancer and HIV to cure as well. Um, and it's really awesome to see that like the pharmaceutical industry, our scientific research apparatus worldwide has done a really, really good job in terms of pivoting out of um, just mitigating and ending the COVID-19 pandemic and as you know, getting back into, um, you know, other areas where we're, you know, trying to improve the health and lives of folks. Um, you know, obviously that's coming at a cost like the CDC is losing staff a lot as well because you know it has been tough being anybody on the public health side of things trying to mitigate this pandemic and so you're seeing that general infrastructure decline but you're seeing at least you know a lot of good investment in biotech and pharma as well so you know it, it's it's a bit of a trade-off so hopefully we can see the cdc recover and you know public health you know get a better priority after you know just a brutal brutal difficult problem to solve not fully solved yet definitely not out of the woods just yet but you know definitely at a point where we're starting to manage it as opposed to hide from it so to speak um Speaking of which, I want to just completely do a hard pivot because we're, gonna, we're about to run out of time. And again, Justin, as always, one, all of our main questions are around crypto because a lot of our, you know, investors, our retail investors who, you know, made crypto a big part of their portfolio during the 2020 boom, managed to get some profits at the very least and are now thinking about, okay, does the bull and bear cycle work the same way in crypto? Should I just be continually adding to my position? Should I, G, should I DCA my way all the way through Solana and all that? How do you think about sort of like altcoins and stuff during what is, what is basically crypto? winter now like we're definitely unequivocally in a crypto bear market you can't really describe it as anything else um should we be thinking about altcoins still or should we just keep our investments to bitcoin and ethereum for now yeah so it's it's interesting the winklevoss brothers actually came out today and said that we're in a crypto winter which for those of you who don't know that term it's effectively a bear market but for uh the crypto space and the most recent one was in the 2017, 2018 phase with things not really starting to recover until uh, 2021. So about a three years of it being a, a pretty significant wall. Um, and we potentially might enter another period of that. And what we've seen so far is that the crypto space really mirrors the equity space. Um, equities seem to lead the way. If they recover, crypto recovers and vice versa. And so I think the future of the crypto market in the short term in terms of pricing is going to be extremely dependent upon how the equity market react. Um, and for anyone who's been paying attention, I think our stance on how equities were going to perform this year has been extremely clear. Uh, there's going to be a lot of volatility, and I think crypto is going to suffer the same exact fate. I know they always preach you know, that it's anti-inflationary and doesn't feel the same effects as the same effects as the market, and that very well may be true. But... At the end of the day, it's a risk-associated asset. So in an environment where people want to take less risk, people are going to sell their crypto because they're not comfortable holding this, which, I mean, it makes plenty of sense. Um, it mitigates some things, but other things it doesn't. So if there's no stable value, and even if it's deflationary, it's going to still lose value just due to that fact alone. So long story short, I think I talked about this before with the car stocks and with the uh, the dot-com bubble. You know, there still will be a handful of altcoins in the long run that ultimately recover. But if you look at back at the last kind of crash in 2017, 2018, there are a lot of coins then that for those of you who are new to crypto probably have never heard of today. Um, so as always, these things come with an immense amount of risk. That's why there is an immense amount of us upside. But in, you know, down times, it becomes much more obvious that that risk might not be worth taking. So just remember this now. So when things ultimately do recover and you have your friends and family investing in some of these speculative coins or stocks, just remember these times where things crash um, and that it's not always, you know, just upside forever. 
Exactly. And I think uh, the main thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about the crypto side of things, too, is that you're not really an investor when you're speculating in crypto. You're more of a VC than anything else. You are putting money in and hoping that this blows up to help cover your losses in other areas. And that's what a lot of people don't really see, especially when the media was so saturated with people saying, like, it's guaranteed that you're going to make millions of dollars on Time Wonderland last year and stuff like that. Um, like, we, this is, this is my second bull run that I've really been involved in crypto. Please, if you, you know, want to make fun of me, ask me about just how much garlic coin I'm holding on to. Uh, the 2017 crash did, did me dirty in terms of all my altcoin plays, but that's kind of how you have to think about it. And the one thing you really have to keep in mind is that far fewer crypto projects are going to survive the bear situation than you would see like in tech companies, right? So keep that in mind as you roll through as well. Like you don't necessarily want to, um, this is a great time for research because you're going to see which projects are real and which projects are, you know, kind of more of head fakes or basically just Ponzi schemes. And you're going to see people who for the next year keep working in various altcoins. If you see a lot of work in a good community still developing despite the bear energy, that's how you know it's more of a real project and more worthy of your continued speculation, right? But keep that in mind too. Like you're probably Probably going to lose everything with most of your altcoin investments. You're a VC, not a retail investor, and you don't have the same protections. But now with the Luna crash really deep in the rearview mirror, maybe we're going to see some regulation, which would honestly, you know, be a little negative in the short term, but like awesome in the long term to have this market be regulated, to get a lot of the scammers out of the space. And so we get sort of like sustainable growth in this new and exciting industry. Either way, Justin, that carries us right to the half hour here. Again, there's just so much to talk about always. Like um, real quick lightning round. Sheryl Sandberg leaves Meta, Justin. Is Zuck next? Is Meta doomed? Or is this just kind of like somebody realizing that they, they've done enough and are just, you know, taking their profits and getting out of the company? Yeah, I mean, she didn't like really talk about why she's leaving, I would imagine, given kind of everything that's happening, like just part of a shit show she didn't want to be a part of. Um, but she definitely kept a, a little bit of a lower profile than obviously Mark Zuckerberg did. I would be extremely surprised if Zuck is next. Um, she's been just as important to him as the company as he's been. Um, but she's older. She's in her 50s. Um, she's definitely in the later stage of her career where where Zuckerberg still is uh, a bit younger and has served as the face of the company for a while. So long story short, I would be absolutely shocked if he stepped away anytime soon. Maybe he's forced to step away. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, but in the meantime, I think, you know, Facebook is continuing to push its foot forward with like their metaverse. Um, and that's going to be their core focus over the next several years. It's been controversy after controversy and they're trying to change their image, but They've, uh, they've done a pretty poor job in actually doing so. And that's it's really important to keep in mind as well. This might just be, it's really hard to say right now what this means, um, but it is the end of an era, like especially with people being as mad as fa at Facebook, you know, as they have been for the past kind of five years about the way that it's kind of like increase the volatility of our social fabric itself so i'm really interested to see what this means moving forward i guess you know it's 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 the metaverse or nothing boys and it's just i'm still waiting to see what exactly that means for meta moving forward there's a lot of question marks in terms of how long it's going to take to develop something for this metaverse like how how to make it um something that people actually do and something that's like as pervasive as web 2 as phone apps and desktop whatever's so really excited to see what that means but it's going to be kind of mayhem moving forward. And that's just going to be the the operating, um, 
ethos we have for the next few months, folks. It's just going to be mayhem moving forward everywhere. And so that's the, the main thing to keep in mind. Keep your investments as incremental as possible. Stay on track. Keep yourself safe. Make sure you're adjusting your budgets as inflation stuff comes out. And make sure you're using your budgets more as a scientific instrument to help understand exactly how inflation is hitting in your area and your household. But as we get to the end here, Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co, as always, super appreciate your time, dude. Any final thoughts from you as we go ahead and like uh, get to the end here? Anything else you want us to keep in mind? this week in the market no um i think uh we continue to reiterate the similar sentiment of, in terms of being smart investor being cognizant of what's going on um just paying attention to the signs and you know don't don't overreact to any news a lot of it is baked in at this point so continue to be a long-term investor stop trading uh it's it's tough you've definitely seen it firsthand and as always if there's questions just uh just reach out we're here to chat Absolutely. And audience, if you ever have any questions at all, A, hit us up over at Discord here. You can always just DM me directly. I'm Mobistar here on Discord. You can always hit us up in general as well. Um, if you're listening to this in a recorded format, you can hit me up at peter at Moby.co. Any questions at all are completely valid. We want to make sure that we are tailoring our discussions and our advice around your actual needs, our brilliant and probably beautiful audience. No question um, is too small or too big. We want to make sure that we are tailoring this around your perspective, so keep that in mind. But for now, like I'm just really excited to have gotten through like, an another wild week in the market, another wild week on this podcast. So I really appreciate your time, audience. Just so you know, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. It was made by Moby.co. All of the, you know, intellectual value from this podcast comes from our analyst team, which is led by CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here, Justin Kramer. I really appreciate everyone's time, but for now, that's a good place to end it. So as always, I like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.